incoming freshmen were in kindergarten when 9-11 happened. That has always been a part of their lives. Incoming freshmen have always noticed on the back of our quarters a celebration of an independent state, of a, of a different state. I see, I'm old. I remember when quarters didn't have that. But see, those are the things that, that have begun to change over the years. Um, did you know one in eight people in the United States has worked at McDonald's? One in eight. <clears throat> Did you know that one American consumes the same resources as 32 Kenyans? Those are just some things to get us going. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm one of those that has this kind of warped sense of thinking. And it fascinates me every time I have to get on an airplane how I can take five pounds of steel and hold it in my hands and drop it and it falls. But I can get on a plane that is, what, 20 tons of steel and expect it to fly. <laughs> or I can drop two pounds of, of steel and metal and it drops, but I can get on a ship that weighs 22,000 tons And it doesn't. Now, see, that kind of stuff just fascinates me. Because I look at things, but one of the things I understand is that there is a truth, and yes, there is a law of gravity. If you have two pounds of steel and you drop it, it's going to fall. But there's also a truth that supersedes that, and it's the, it's, the truth, the, bleh, it's the truth of lift and thrust to where you can climb on a plane. And that same structure that is tons and tons of metal will lift up and you will sit in a little chair at 33,000 feet traveling 600 miles an hour to get to a destination. And it's interesting how at times how God will speak in the things that you've heard over and over and over and over again. Because every time you get on a plane, the stewardess gets up and goes through their little safety speech. There are four exits in the plane. And so as they go through that, but something hit me when, uh, when, this, when it happened this time. I thought, how sad is it, or how sad would it be if in the case of an emergency, and by the way, when I landed in Raleigh, they had to roll out all the fire trucks and stuff. It was an interesting time. Uh, but how interesting would it be that when your plane landed and they said you had to deplane quickly and they pointed out the exits, that you looked up and you noticed the exit and you said, oh, there it is, and never moved towards it. That sounds foolish. But you know, at the same time, we look at the signs. There's an exit sign above the doors. We can look at the signs and acknowledge the signs, but never acknowledge why they're there. There are times that we have God who will look at, who will, will uh, intervene in our life and bring provision, bring signs and wonders, and we will acknowledge the sign apart from who He is. We will be satisfied with seeing the sign and going no further. Just like on the plane. 
We settle for a sign. And don't settle for what the sign is trying to tell us. The children of Israel launch out from Egypt. They're getting a cloud by day, fire by night. They're getting manna. They're getting water. They're getting uh, not a feeble one among their tribe. They're being in health. Their clothes aren't wearing out. They're seeing signs and wonders daily. And yet they missed what God was trying to do. They had had 400 years of bondage and God is getting them out. And as he's going through the sign and showing them and directing them, he's trying to get them to say, you can trust me. I will take care of you. You don't need to worry about what's going on. The signs that you're seeing is to point to something that's bigger and that, and that was that there is a God who is a father who will trust and take care of you. But all they wanted to see was the sign. And so all they wanted to do was keep going, why are we out here? Let's just go back to Egypt. It's uncomfortable out here. God is always trying to get us into a deeper and more, uh, a deeper relationship with him. The signs, the provisions, the things that he's doing in your life are all to point you in the direction of who he is so that you can step into a greater understanding and relationship with him. Hebrews 3.9 says, talking about the children of Israel, they saw his works. And then verse 10 is really reveals their heart. It says, they did not know his ways. They saw the works. They were satisfied with seeing the works and stopped there. And so many times you and I get caught up in the things that we're going through and needing to hear and needing to see provision and a sign and a wonder and a miracle from God. And when we do, it does not change us. And the next time we're put in that position or a position like it, we find ourselves in the same situation as we did before. Because we did not understand what God was trying to get across to us. We settled for the sign and the wonder. Matthew 12, 38 and 39 says that an evil generation seeks a sign. Could it be that the problem was that they were seeking the sign and wanted nothing to do with the person of Jesus? Oh, they were excited. Oh, show us the signs. Don't want anything to do with you. Matthew 13, 58, Jesus was in Nazareth. They said, he's just Joseph and Mary's son. And it said, he could do no great signs among them because of their unbelief. I wonder, what do you think Jesus could do through you and I if we truly believed? What do you think he could do through you and I if we truly believed. See, we, we sang a song, uh, the, worst, the song that they sang for offering is a good example, uh, about a month ago, and what got me started this way is we uh, sang a song called Our God, and the bridge of that song is, and if our God is for us, then who can be against us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? 
Now, we sing that on a regular basis, but can I ask you a question? Do we really believe that? Because if we really believed, if our God was for us, then who could be against us? And if our God was with us, then what could stand against? Then how does depression hang around in our life? How do addictions hang around in our life? How do sickness and disease hang around in our lives? And, and folks, I'm guilty. See, we, oftentimes we come to church and we hear someone talk about we need to walk like Jesus in the earth. We need to act like Jesus in the earth. And that is very true. There's only one challenge with that. There's only one way to do that, and that is to believe like Jesus believed. If we will not believe like Jesus believed, we will not walk like Jesus walked. Because you cannot walk out something you do not believe in. So then we have to come to terms with the fact that we live in a process of getting rid of fear and unbelief. Now again, fear and unbelief is something that we were taught. We didn't, it didn't start out that way. At some point in time as a child, you were pretty fearless. I find it interesting, I'm, I'm getting ready to, uh, I've, I've got a class reunion coming up, and it's 41 years. Why they skipped 40, I don't know. Uh, maybe 41 just sounds better. But I, I started thinking, and, and you know, there's a couple places you can go, and, and people would talk about how they remember you, and they would talk about me being confident and, and almost brash and, and, and willing to do anything. And I thought, my Lord, how much has changed over the years? Because I struggle with that stuff all the time now. Because, see, somewhere along the way, the enemy took life, took uh, maybe people around me, took circumstances, and began to invade my life and begin to bombard me with fear and unbelief. Because that's not the way we started out. No kid grows up ever thinking, man, I'll just be mediocre. If you're a boy, you strap on a towel and become Superman and you're going to change the world. And you begin to jump off the roofs of houses to prove it. Because you're fearless. There is, there, you, you just know, man, that you are invincible. And somewhere along the way, we bought into the lie. To where we begin to say, man, I can't do that. That could never be me. Folks, you and I have been lied to. Because God is not that way. Now that doesn't mean you're not going to be in situations that make you uncomfortable. That's why he's called the comforter. I was... Uh, and, and you've heard me say before, one of my challenges is uh, I, if I'm driving somewhere, I want to know every turn I'm going to make before I ever get in the car. I want to know exactly where I'm going, exactly what it takes to get there, exactly how long it's going to be. And if 
if I knew every other aspect of it, that w- I would want that too. That's just me. Which makes driving in another country very interesting when you don't know the language. But even when you do know the language, I still have those issues. So I fly into North Carolina. They roll out their trucks as we land. So that, that kind of gets you started. I go to get a rental car because I've got to drive about an hour to get where I'm going. Folks, I wish I could say it was happening here. It was raining sheets of water, as it can only do back there. So I walk from maybe here to the door, and I'm soaking wet, getting to the car rental place. Then I have to put my luggage in the car and doing about that same distance. I mean, I am drenched. And so I get behind the wheel of the car, turn it over, and I'm going to meet somebody that I haven't seen for 20 years. I'm going to go meet a mom and a daughter there was a family that when we lived in East Texas, these, God and these people were the only reasons we made it. We made it. And, I, and I mean that exactly. The only reasons we survived is God and this family. And the only reason they survived is God and us. I mean, it was, we have hot dogs, no buns, we've got Bisquick, dinner for ten. I mean, that was... We've got baked potatoes. We're feeding everybody. That, I mean, that was it. But I haven't seen these people in 20 years, so I get out. It's a driving rainstorm. I'm getting on a freeway in rush hour traffic on, on an interstate that has no business being called an interstate, that has not got enough lanes to even begin to take care of the traffic that's there. It is pouring buckets of water. And the people in the left-hand lane with the four-wheel drive trucks are still going by at 70 miles an hour, leaving rooster tails of water that is flooding everybody else's car. And about that time, my phone makes this very ungodly noise that I have never heard before. And when I pick it up to look to see what it is going on, it says, flash flood warnings. And I'm going, okay, God, it would be so much easier to pull this car to the side of the road if I could wait out the storm or turn and just head back and go to where I'm supposed to be rather than meet with these people. You ever been there where it's so much easier? It would be much easier to just turn around than it would to continue forward. And I'm going, after all, you know, I talk to these people on Facebook from time to time. I just haven't seen them. I'm not coming for them anyway. I'm coming because there's a missions conference going on, which is now an hour and a half in the other direction. And I've still got to drive to get there. I've got every reason in the world to stop. But for once, I got it right. I always get up and tell you when I mess it up, I got it right this time. I kept going forward. I kept saying, God, I know there's something. I know there's something you're wanting to do. I don't have a clue what it is. I I am absolutely clueless, but I know, God, there's a reason why I'm supposed to see these people. And so I went forward. We met. God showed up. It was an incredible night. So many times... We're put in situations that are uncomfortable. And in truth, 
as you're believing God for those things, it would be so much easier to turn around and just go back and not to press on. But I'm telling you, if you do, you'll miss something amazing that God is wanting to do. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. I guess we have to at least turn to a few scriptures, otherwise it's not a legitimate message, right? We're going to start at verse 5. And the disciples came to the other side of the sea, for they had, and they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began to discuss this among themselves, saying, He said this because we didn't bring any bread. And it says, And Jesus was aware of what they were thinking and what they were saying. And he said this, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets full you picked up? Or the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I do not speak to you concerning bread? Now, here's the thing. Jesus actually fed more with less. But what he was trying to get them to understand is the moment you were a part of this and the moment you saw that, that took away, should have taken away your right to ever start a conversation again with what you do not have. Because you have seen my provision. And if you are beginning to discuss the fact of what you do not have, it's a sign that you are in fear and unbelief. Because once you saw that, the reason for that sign and the wonder wasn't just for me to show off and say who I am. It was twofold. One, because the people needed to eat. And two, because I'm trying to get you to understand that you can rely on God. And once you see that, you should be able to go forward in any situation and never discuss what you don't have. Now, see, that's been an issue for me. I'm just honest. Because I tend to look at it and God shows up, I get real excited. God, thank you, man. You really got me through. And then next time I come out of that situation, gee, I wonder if it's going to happen this time. So what's that tell me? I didn't get the lesson. I didn't get the lesson. Because I should have known God, you did this. I shouldn't have to start this conversation with where I'm at and what I'm lacking. I should start this conversation with God. You've been faithful all along. See, I really think, I love it. If you're an economics person, the fish and the loaves, supply and demand. What did Jesus do when he was met with the situation of supply and demand? He just multiplied the supply. Right. 
Hey, the demand outweighs what we've got. That's no problem. I'll just multiply the supply. Now, we look at that as being Jesus, but I'm here to tell you, he wants you and I to be able to do the same thing. You running into an issue of supply and demand, he wants you to be able to multiply the supply. The challenge is, the only way that works is if we will believe like Jesus believed. Now, if you're sitting there and you're going, gee, that would be really nice at the end of the month, I could multiply, you know, multiply what I have and have extra money to be able to do the things. That's great, but you're missing the lesson. Because when Jesus did that, Jesus didn't benefit from that. See, the way Jesus believed, he said, listen, I can multiply the supply, feed everybody here, take the leftovers, give it all away, because I'm convinced God will take care of me tomorrow. And you and I would be more of a mindset of, well, God, you can multiply all this stuff, and that'll be great. I'll just set some aside for me because I've got to eat tomorrow. See, there's a subtle difference in how we perceive and believe the situation and how Jesus did. But that makes all the difference in the world. That sounded even better, didn't it? Okay, so we will try this with me just standing here quietly, which that doesn't work for me, so we'll see. So the expectation that Jesus had was once they saw him feed the multitudes, it should have changed everything in their life, in their thought process, and how they walked, and how they navigated life. Everything should have changed at that point on. No more thinking about what they don't have. No more thinking about the situation they're in, and oh God, where are you? Those things that you and I are real comfortable at doing. Amen? The sign was to lead them to a deeper trust, a deeper relationship with God. Turn to Exodus chapter 3. <coughs> no, I'm not. <coughs> Exodus chapter 3. Now, I want you to read this or or listen to this like you've never heard it before and you don't already know the end of the story. Okay? Can you do that? This is talking about Moses in the burning bush. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight why the bush is not being burned up. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. And God said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. 
For I am aware of their suffering, so I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite and every other Egliite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression from which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now let's stop right there. Now how many of you know, again, looking at this like you've never seen it before, at this point, Moses is really excited. I mean, God, you've decided you're going to come and you're going to deliver your people? He's like, yeah, God, I'm on board. Oh, can't wait. I'm, I'm with you, God. You and me, yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm right behind you. You do this, God. He's excited. And then verse 10 comes. Therefore, come now. I will send you. And I'm sure right there, everything Moses was thinking just stopped. I was, God, I was cool with it while you were talking about delivering all your people. I mean, I was right there with you right up until the time you said, Behold, I'm sending you. It's like, now we, now we got to talk, God. Uh, no, now I'm not so sure. See, because you would be the exact same way. Uh, two million people, hello. Come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people and the sons of Israel out of Egypt. And I love the next statement that Moses said. But Moses said to God, and here's the big question, who am I? You ever asked that question before? God is asking you and put something in your heart, and your question is, who am I? I? I'm just a kid from Carruthers. I'm just a kid whose lone desire was to get old enough and move away from Carruthers to get to Fresno. I'm talking huge ambitions here. I wasn't looking to change the world. I was just looking to change my address. Who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. Now, don't look at the next verse yet, Cindy. <laughs> because truthfully, that's a legitimate question. It really is. If, I'm ta if, if God is saying, Benjamin, I want you to do this, I've got to take stock and say, okay, who am I? And yet it seems that God did not answer Moses' question. But he did. Moses said, who am I? And God's answer, in a nutshell, was, it doesn't matter who you are. It's not about you. See, it doesn't matter who you are, Moses. It's not about you at all. 
God says, certainly, I will be with you. Verse 12, certainly, I will be with you, and this shall be a sign to you, that it is I who have sent you when you've brought the children out of Egypt. In other words, you aren't really going to know that this is the answer to your question until after you've done it. In other words, you're going to have to go and do this just being a little bit uncertain. You're going to have to go and do this being out of your comfort zone. You're going to have to do this being not quite sure of everything that is going on and not having all the little things in a row, all the ducks lined up to where you know exactly what's going to happen. Because Moses, once again, it's not about you. It's not about your gifts. It's not about your ability. It's not about your talent or lack thereof. It's not about your personality or lack thereof. No. <laughs> Just talking about me. You've got to understand it has zero to do with you. It's about who you're traveling with. It's about who you are in relationship with. See, Moses, it's not about you. You don't need to look at this as if you just have to take an inventory of all the things you are or aren't. Just like with the disciples, and you don't have to take an inventory of the bread and the loaves that you have or the fact that you don't have any. Because it's not about you. It's about him. It's about the fact that he said, I will be with you. And that's all you need. See, the reason why Jesus believed the way he did is he knew who was with him. He knew who he was. He knew that God was not going to withdraw himself or let him down. Do you realize that when you got born again, it was just as radical a change that took place as when Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden and sin entered the world. When you got born again, the change was just as radical because God took you and put you once again right back into that spot that Adam and Eve held before they ate that fruit. Once again, you are free to have a relationship with the Creator who created heaven and earth and everything in it, and He desires to spend time with you and I, and He desires to have such an intimate relationship with you and I that we can get to the point where we're saying, God, I don't know what you're wanting to do, I don't know why I'm here, but since I'm here, I know you're showing up and you got something in store. The other aspect of my trip to uh, North Carolina 
was I got to see uh, the mom and the daughter that night in the rainstorm. I also got the opportunity to, uh, when the meeting broke up on Saturday, I wasn't flying out till Sunday, so I had contacted the husband because they had divorced after our time in Texas over some issues that never got resolved uh, in some people's lives. Issues from youth that, that just kept creating a wedge. And I had tried to contact this guy off and on, and I mean, never a response. But this time when I said, hey, I'm going to be in North Carolina. Am I anywhere around you? He's like, you tell me where you're going to be. And so I was driving, I drove back to Raleigh to get ready to take my flight the next morning. They came from three hours away from Norfolk, Virginia, and we got a hotel room that night uh, each, and, and we got, he got there at 5 o'clock. We talked from 5 o'clock till midnight, just going back. And I'm telling you, it was as if we were never separated the work that God began to do and once again reestablishing and knitting two hearts together was absolutely amazing. We laughed. We cried. Uh, the last time he had seen my, our kids, uh, I mean, it was like Aaron might have been 10. So it's been 21, 22 years. And to see what God has done was just amazing was absolutely amazing. We both still have some issues. Go figure, he can use us anyway. And he's part of a group that teaches people how to dance. And I got to share a little story with you real quick for, about him. They were at one of these dance things, and he goes, most of the people there are you know, drinking, smoking, and stuff like that. He goes, God just put us there. He goes, this guy got up and was sharing he has cancer and has only a couple of weeks left to live. And the guy who was kind of over the thing with him was, grabbed the microphone and said, when you go home, remember to pray for this guy. And my friend Tim, because he's just bold this way, walked right up to the guy with the microphone. And the guy looked at him and said, you got something to say? He goes, absolutely. So Tim grabbed the microphone. He says, listen, you may or may not remember to pray when you go home. He says, and if prayer bothers you, he goes, I'm sorry. If you can step aside, you can step outside for a few minutes. But those of you who believe in prayer, you come on up here. We're going to lay hands on this man, and we're going to expect God to show up. He says, I was shocked when about two people, three people stepped aside, and the whole rest of the group came forward to lay hands on this guy. And he goes, so we laid hands on him. He went his way. He goes, didn't know anything that happened. About six months later, we were meeting for another event. Here come this guy just bopping in. He goes, hey, you remember me? And Tim goes, how could I forget you? He goes, I got one word, remission. So here's God in the midst of these people who are learning to dance. And one person who's just bold enough to say, God, I know you just want to show up here. And I'm going to just be one that will say, here I am. Warts and all. Issues that I still have in my life, use me. And he did. What a testimony. You know, if we get our identity right, 
the supernatural is no longer an issue. Because supernatural is not something you do, it's something you are. So if you and I will get our identity right, <clears throat> we'll have no issues with the supernatural. <clears throat> We've got to get past the thought process that we have at times, and I'll just put it this way. Somehow or another, we've got this blown-up idea of being anointed, and we need to be anointed. And we've got to wait for the anointing and all of that, and there's times that that might be true. But here's, what, here's the real truth. It's not hard to be anointed. A handkerchief and a cloth could do it. It wasn't difficult. They laid hands on it. They prayed. The cloth and the handkerchief were anointed. They took them out, laid them on the sick. They got well. It wasn't that difficult. And yet sometimes we make it this, this thing like, oh God, I got to attain to this. No, you are already there. You just don't realize it yet. The moment the Holy Spirit came and indwelt you, you got anointed. And it didn't change and it didn't leave. You just have to learn to cooperate with it. And so do I. You have been anointed on purpose, with purpose, for a purpose. It's not by accident. You were anointed on purpose. You were sent here to solve an issue that was in the earth to bring the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God and His presence into that situation so that that situation would bow its knee. You were anointed on purpose, with purpose, and for a purpose. Turn to Revelation 3.20. This is the last scripture. You've heard it time and time before. And we could probably all quote it, but the last time I tried to do something like that with the Lord's Prayer, I forgot half of it. <clears throat> so I look them up now. Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. That's relationship. That's just acknowledging that, if, that God is standing at the door and he's knocking. He's trying to get you to say, there's more. There's a deeper relationship with me. There's areas that you can't knock on that because you can't hear it. There's, there's areas you haven't tapped into yet, Benjamin. There's things out there that I have in store for you. And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to knock on your door. And if you will just open it, you'll step into that deeper relationship with me. You'll step into that place where now you can do what I've set before you to do. And it won't, you won't struggle with it any longer. And then as you master that, listen, I'm going to come back and I'm going to knock again because there's still more. 
There's still more for you to step into. There's still more that he has for you. But it's going to come as you open the door and invite and take in and begin to walk out that deeper relationship than you have now. We all like to be comfortable. Dear Lord, we like to be comfortable. But when I'm in a place that's comfortable, I don't need him to show up. I need to get uncomfortable. Where I'm going, God, I don't have a clue. I need, you've got, I need help. Help. God is calling out for a deeper relationship. We will either say yes, or we will spend our lives looking for an adequate substitute. You will either say yes, or you will spend your life looking for an adequate substitute. And I can tell you up front, there isn't one. Yes. 